This is Speaking Freely with the ACLU of Pennsylvania. I'm Andy Hoover, your host and director of communications at the ACLU of PA. Today, we are talking about a huge case that is in front of the United States Supreme Court this week. But before we get to that, there are two other issues I want to acknowledge. I am recording this on Friday, October 30th, and the election is looming. Wherever things stand by the time you hear this, I encourage you to keep up with ACLUPA's election work by connecting with us on our social media platforms. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube with the handle at ACLUPA. Second, you may be aware that Philadelphia police officers murdered Walter Wallace Jr. on October 26th. Our hearts are with Walter's family and loved ones and everyone in Philadelphia who is hurting after yet another act of senseless, brazen, racist violence by the Philadelphia PD. Here at ACLUPA, we are calling on City Council and Mayor Kenny to divest from the Philadelphia Police Department and invest in community programs that improve the lives of the people of the city, including public health programs that support people who are in mental health crises. You can take action and contact City Council and the mayor by using our email tool. There is a link to that action in the show notes. On to today's episode. On November 4th, the Supreme Court will hear oral arguments in Fulton v. City of Philadelphia. This case is a challenge to the city's enforcement of its non-discrimination ordinance in awarding contracts for foster care. Catholic Social Services contracts with the city but will not place foster children with same-sex couples. In this episode, we'll hear from Mary Catherine Roper, Deputy Legal Director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania, who explains the legal issues before the court. Then we'll talk with Samantha Hutcherson-Bannon and Greg Yorgi-Gerdy, two members of Philadelphia Family Pride, a nonprofit group that builds community for LGBTQ parents and their kids of all ages. Sam and Greg talk about their families and why it's important to them to be part of this case. This interview is from May of 2019, but as you'll hear, the issues are as relevant as ever. You can find more information about this case at aclupa.org slash Fulton. Well, Mary Catherine, thank you again for making a return appearance to the podcast. I know we talked about this case briefly over the summer after the non-discrimination case from the Supreme Court. Um, but I want to get into a little more of the detail. So let's start with the facts here about Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia, because they're a little complicated. The city of Philadelphia oversees the placement of children in foster care, but they contract with private agencies to find those homes and potential foster parents. How does that work? That's exactly right. When children cannot safely return to their home, they come under the care of the city. And the city has a network of private providers some of them are religiously affiliated, some of them are not, who provide all different kinds of care, all different levels of care for children who cannot safely return to their homes. The, the very specific thing uh, that these providers do that is at issue here is that they recruit and train and certify potential foster families. And the city has a non-discrimination ordinance that city contractors are expected to follow. What are the terms of that policy? Well, first of all, the city of Philadelphia was one of the first municipalities to have a local law that prohibits discrimination against people on the basis of sexual orientation. 
that is a policy that has permeated the city's practices and the city's contracting for literally decades. And when it comes to these agencies that contract with the city to recruit and train and certify foster families, they have a contract that says they're going to abide by city laws and, and the city policies with respect to non-discrimination. So how did the city end up being sued then by Catholic Social Services? Well, Catholic Social Services apparently for years has been refusing to work with potential foster families that are same-sex couples. And they are refusing to do that on the basis of their objection to same-sex marriage. But they never told the city that. That is something that came out in a news article a couple of years ago in the, in the spring of 2018, or maybe it was the spring of 2019. I'm sorry. Uh, it's, it's hard to keep track of. It's hard to keep track. <laughs> um, and when, when the city learned that it had actually two religious agencies that were refusing to work with gay and lesbian foster families, they immediately told those two agencies, we aren't going to continue to work with you if you don't follow our non-discrimination rules. One of those agencies immediately said, we will abide by your, your rules. The other agency was Catholic Social Services, and instead they sued the city. They claimed that because they're a religious agency, they get to work with whatever foster families they want to work with, regardless of any non-discrimination rules. So I'm not a lawyer, but as an outside non-lawyer observer, it sounds like Catholic Social Services wants to have their cake and eat it too. They want both access to government money through the contract and to be exempt from the city's rules for participating in that contract. Is that an accurate summary? Yep, I think that hits the nail on the head. <laughs> So let me play devil's advocate. Why doesn't the First Amendment protection of religious expression control here? Catholic Social Services is signing up to perform a government contract. The government cannot discriminate on the basis of religious views. And in Philadelphia, the government cannot discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation. So when Catholic Social Services steps into the shoes of the government, it needs to not discriminate because the work it is doing is in the name of the city of Philadelphia. There are lots of other services that Catholic Social Services provides to children who are not able to be safe in their homes, and none of those are implicated by this dispute. They have, I think it's like $17 million a year in contracts with the city that continue, but they can perform all of those contracts without discriminating against gay and lesbian people. This one contract, they refuse to perform. It's just not a question of their religious liberty. It's a question of when they are acting in the name and under the contract with the city, do they follow the city's rules? So this case has worked its way through the federal system. And uh, on Wednesday, November 4th, uh, it will be argued in front of the U.S. Supreme Court. How did we end up in front of the Supreme Court? Well, uh, Catholic Social Services asked first our federal district court to force the city to continue the contract, but allow it to discriminate. The federal district court said no. They took an appeal to the court of appeals. The court of appeals said no. And then they asked the United States Supreme Court to take the question. And so even though they had lost twice below, they're taking a run at a different court. 
and it's Catholic Social Services that sued the city, so they have an individual plaintiff, uh, and then the city's the defendant, but we're involved as interveners. Can you explain that process? Yeah, the plaintiffs in this case are Catholic Social Services and some of the foster parents it does work with who say they don't want to work with any other agency, although they they could work with a different agency, but they want to continue working and caring for children as Catholic Social Services foster parents. So that's who sued the city. We got involved because we felt that the voice that was not being heard was the voice of, first of all, the children who are involved, and second of all, the lesbian and gay families who will be shut out if Catholic Social Services is allowed to discriminate. So we represent the Support Center for Child Advocates, which represents children who are out of their homes. And we represent Philadelphia Family Pride, which for years has been working with the city to recruit and train and prepare gay and lesbian couples to be foster families. And, you know, I feel like our client, who our clients are, really crystallizes why this is so important. If Catholic Social Services prevails, what is the harm? Why is it so important for the city's actions to be upheld? If Catholic Social Services can pick and choose foster parents based on their religious beliefs, then there's no reason why they have to stop at discriminating against LGBT families. They could decide that they don't want to work with families that aren't Catholic. And in fact, in other states that where these kinds of issues are coming up, there are agencies that will not work with families that aren't Christian. There's no sort of stopping line at LGBT discrimination, nor should there be, right? If the rule is that a, a religious agency can take public money and then discriminate in a way that the government both could not do on its own and does not want to do that means it's going to be really difficult to have an open opportunity for everyone to be treated fairly in these government programs. And ultimately, the the, the people who are harmed are the foster kids. Because... Absolutely. There is always a shortage of good foster homes because kids and foster families are not widgets. It's not like you get a kid, you have a home, you put them together, boom, you're done. It's not like that. You have to find the right home with the right resources to take care of a particular kid and that kid's needs. And you need, therefore, as many families as possible. And a lot of kids are out of their homes because their family cannot accept who they are. For that population in particular, it is absolutely essential that we have good gay and lesbian foster families, all kinds of families, like LGBTQ and A, everybody, we need everybody represented because we have everybody represented in the pool of kids who need support, who need homes, who need love. And those kids who can't be placed in a foster home end up in group homes, it's not the same. It's really harmful to the kids to not have every qualified family available. And Mary Catherine, well, thanks so much for taking the time. Best wishes to you and the legal team. We all know you're going to be great. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> Thank we'll, you. We'll, we know you'll be great. Whether or not the court is great, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, thanks a lot, Andy. All right, thanks. Well, Greg and Sam, thank you both for taking the time to sit down and talk today about your experiences and about this Fulton foster parent case. Greg, I want to start with you. Uh, you are married. You have kids. Tell us about your family. Well, I'm Greg, and 
Paul is my husband. We have four kids. We originally planned on having five kids. Uh, I argued for one. Obviously, I lost. Bella is eight. She is our only girl. We have two boys that are four. Xander being a month older than Trevor, he's also four. Uh, and we also have a Raymond who is 10 years old, who we are, we have custody of him, permanent legal custody of him. We're just a big family. I think now it's only, we need to increase, have a bigger house, basically. <laughs> two four-year-olds, an eight-year-old, and a 10-year-old. That yes. must be really lively in your house on a day-to-day -day um, basis. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really lively. In fact, I tend to stay in my bedroom a lot of times, so... <laughs> But anyway, yeah, it's, it's definitely lively. The kids are pretty good. Uh, the boys love to torment Bella since she's the only female in the house, but she handles herself pretty well. So you and Paul um, were foster parents. You've been foster parents. Um, tell us about that. What was your rationale? Why did you do, want to get involved in foster parenting? What was the experience like? Uh, the experience with, with Bella, it was, it was relatively easy. Uh, we went through the process of the background check, which was pretty quick. Uh, and then we waited a, a bit, and we got a call that Bella was available. When Bella came, she was a great kid. Uh, we had no problems. She slept. She ate. She was very loving. It was easy. So we said, you know what, let's, let's get our brother. And then Xander came, and he was totally opposite. Uh, it was a lot of work. Uh, I'd never slept. Uh, he loved to throw up uh, in my face, but that's a whole other story. It, it was a, a good process in the fact that we learned a lot through the system. I think that initially when we fostered, we went in without actually doing background, uh, like knowing what to expect. We were lucky enough to have someone uh, within the agency who helped us quite a bit. Uh, she understood that we were two guys and that she knew that in, in the system sometimes people tend to have biases. She didn't, and she looked out for us. Uh, we had the opportunity to have, through fostering, three beautiful kids, uh, and so I'm happy for that. And you and your family live in Philadelphia, and this case obviously is centered around Philadelphia's non-discrimination policy. Um, but having that experience, having been foster parents um, in Philadelphia, um, what do you think it's important for folks to know about the foster system, the the um, the experience of foster kids and foster parents. Well, like it's, Philadelphia is pro very progressive. I think Philadelphia understands that there is a need for caring families. We have a lot of kids out there in the system that need loving homes, and I think Philadelphia real realizes that by discriminating against same-sex couples, you close out the pool of people available for those kids. And I, you know, I'm happy to live in a city that recognizes that. And we're uh, proud recipients of it. So, Sam, let's uh, pivot over to you and talk a little bit about your experiences. You are from Montgomery County, also married with children. Tell us about your family. Um, sure. Um, well, my family is myself, um, my wife, Pamela, who is a physician. Um, we have two young daughters. We have a four-year-old who, almost four, um, Eleanor, and an 18-month-old, Ruth. Um, we've been married for about four years now. Um, and like you said, we live in Jenkintown, which is a little suburb um, north of Philadelphia. So you and Pamela aspired to be foster parents. Yes. Um, let's start there. Why? What was the decision-making like between the two of you? Why did you decide you wanted to be foster parents? 
I'm a stay-at-home mom, and we had one daughter at the time, and we were moved really by uh, the plight of a lot of the refugee minors that were coming into the country. We had heard that there was going to be a group coming into the Philadelphia area and did some research on that and really felt that, that we could provide um, a loving, stable home for, for one of these kids. Um, did some research, found out that Bethany Christian Services was the only organization um, that was handling those placements, so reached out to them um, for initial information. And it didn't work out with Bethany. Uh, tell us a little bit about that process. Sure. Um, scheduled an information session with Bethany Christian Services. And at that initial meeting, um, revealed to them that we were a two-mom family. That was not received very well. Um, we were told that, I was told, that they didn't work with same-sex couples. Um, and they could provide us with information um, for other agencies that did. I said, well, unfortunately, um, you're the only agency that handles those placements, at which point I was told that, that that would not be a good fit because those children had already been through enough. That's quite a statement to make, um, that these kids have already been through enough. You've talked in the past about how living in Southeast PA, you're just not used to facing that kind of discrimination. I mean, this must have been a bit of a jolt when this happened. It was. Um, I think that we're really lucky, as Greg mentioned. This is a progressive area. The community that we live in is very open and welcoming, and we just don't sort of think about ourselves as as different, really, because we're a two-mom family. So I was surprised by that reaction, embarrassed, um, because it happened in front of a room full of people, um, and, and, and disappointed. So let's talk a little bit about Philadelphia Family Pride. You're both members of the organization. They are the ACLU's clients, in this case, intervening to defend the city's practice. Um, Tell us about PFP. Um, What kind of activities does the organization sponsor and support? What's it like as, as members? And, that, and those kinds of things. Well, I'm, I'm current uh, treasurer of, of PFP, and I've been on the board, I think, since around 2006, I believe. And how we – actually, it hasn't been. It's about 2010, I think, it's when we started. It's It's been helpful for our family because it allows us to interact and, and, and play time with uh, similar families, you know, same-sex families. Uh, we have uh, a good friends that are two dads, two moms, some are trans families. Currently, we schedule activities. Uh, we have an annual activity, for instance, uh, at Great Great Wolf Lodge that we come that's coming up for for the different families that are interested. Uh, we also have a dinner that night, and and we all get together, and the kids have a really good time. And those are some of the activities I think are, are really beneficial for uh, families such as ours. And Sam, what about you? You and Pamela are involved with PFP as well. Uh, we are. Um, and in addition to sort of the, the, the fun things that the families get to do with kids, um, PFP hosts a big conference um, every year. And that's how we initially got started with PFP. And um, we were prospective parents at the time and went to the conference to learn more about um, how we could become parents. But overall, now that we, we do have our two girls, um, we really enjoy showing them, you know, other families that look like ours and, and families that don't look like ours um, because they may have two dads or they have trans parents or um, they may be interracial. Um, I think that PFP is really great at showing sort of the breadth of, of diversity um, in families. Well, and to that point, what would you want folks to know about the families that are involved with PFP? That they come in different colors, different shapes. Uh, I think all types of families are are welcome, and I think that's important. I think that's what we we base it on is that we're a very inclusive group, and I think 
that in the society now, and, and not in Philadelphia, but it's important to have a place that you can go where all can be involved in togetherness, inclusiveness. So we're in the middle of this case. Um, we're waiting to see what the next steps are on the legal end. Why is this case important to you? Sam, why don't you go first? Um, sure. I think this is, case is important for a couple of reasons. Um, one, as we know, there are lots of kids waiting in the foster care system for, for great loving placements. Um, and we want to have a, a, a wide number of people who are available. So it's important that we you know, don't disclude families because they may be part of the LGBTQ community. Also, we know that LGBTQ kids are disproportionately um, in the foster care system, and we want to have families that are available that, that look like them, that represent who they are. Um, and, you know, as, as Greg has mentioned before, um, Philly is a progressive city and has had a longstanding non-discrimination policy, and I'm, I'm glad to see that that's being supported and uh, upheld. Greg, what about you? Why is this case important to you? Just to piggyback on what Sam said, I think it's important, since Philadelphia is a city that is very progressive, I think it's important that that was affirmed. And I think other cities can learn from that. And I think it's important it, it sent a loud message to other cities and other families that discrimination will not be allowed. And they place uh, kids' lives over, you know, discrimination. They allow all people uh, to live and, and have lives and families. Well, thank you both for taking the time. Really appreciate your insights and your experiences. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Mary Catherine Roper, Samantha Hutcherson Bannon, and Greg Yorgi Gurdy for taking the time to talk about this case. Check out aclupa.org slash Fulton to learn more about the issue before the Supreme Court this week. If you like speaking freely, be sure to rate us on your podcast app of choice. That's how people find the show. And that is a wrap on episode 51. The editor of Speaking Freely is Amy Giacomucci. Our music is from bensound.com. The executive director of the ACLU of Pennsylvania is Reggie Shuford. I'm Andy Hoover. Until next time, be healthy and be free. Be free.